welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, Dr. Matthew Gamble shares his journey from serving as a pastor to discovering a newfound freedom in our sovereignty through expansiveness and curiosity. Together, we talk about the need for community and plant medicine, the importance of both trust and respect to sustain love, and the power of the narratives we tell ourselves. It was so lovely getting to talk to Matthew. I mean, he shared everything and I loved the level of rawness that he opened up his heart to talk about his struggles and his joys and the mistakes and the celebration that is his journey of finding himself and his truth. And I feel like it's so clear when people are resonating and vibrating from their own truth. And Matthew definitely does this throughout his episode. And I also want to say a huge shout out to the first Absolute Anarchist Patreon, Scarlett, who is supporting the podcast at a $5 level because they believe in authentic expression and holding space for the diversity of the human experience. And so... Heck yeah, I'm really excited to get to know you further, and if anyone else is interested, we'll be having a monthly Q&A for all the Patreons so we can hold more community space for all of our anarchist hearts and just have a safe place to be able to express ourselves and be fully seen in our authentic expression. And so if you want to join that conversation and join the community, then I'll ask you to pledge to support the podcast. We have the $2 level or the $5 level. So that's what about like 50 cents a podcast. That's uh, yeah, not that much really actually, but yeah, it's great. I'm really excited to get to connect with you further and to listen and get closer to all of you listeners out there that make this podcast what it is today. And it's really all of you listeners that keep me coming back and doing this work. So I just want to say a little bit of love to all of you checking in each week. I hope y'all enjoy this episode and tune in. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. How are you doing? I am quite lovely. Actually, I just got back from the gym, got a little cleaning done and feeling quite good. Nice. I've been working on a mala today. These are not like, well, the gym and cleaning happens on the regular. The mala does not, but it's been lingering for a long time. My mala broke and... What is that? Just a mala. It's a a prayer necklace. Oh, okay. Like 108 bead per necklace sure so you use it's kind of like a catholic to catholics to rosary Rosary, buddhist to malas interesting yes is there a significance to the beads uh for me in are we going are we on (laughs) 
we're on whenever you want to be on baby but yeah kind of i mean i just start chatting with this is what i do I know, that's what amanda amanda told me <laughs> she's like it just starts <laughs> so in 2000 you know in 2000 it's a long story but in 2019 i was on a sojourn and and uh, where I was going through this separation and ultimately a divorce from my my bride of 17 years. Oh, and wow. I rekindled a romance with my high school sweetheart, the Aww. woman I lost my virginity to. Aww, and, adorable. and it was amazing. It was just this epic uh, galactic love affair, really. And she was really into prayer and meditation, yoga, was doing her yoga teacher's license and going through her own transformation. And we were in Asheville, North Carolina on a road trip and bought bought all the beads for it and then made it with her help. She's real dialed that way and uh, just crafty and thrifty that way. Mm -hmm, and, sure. and then I ended up walking a thousand mile pilgrimage that year through France and Spain called the Camino de Santiago. Okay, So wow. So I carried that with me and then prayed with it, you know, regularly walking the trail would just wow. go through it. And, and it, what the beauty of it for this, those of us with the ADHD brilliance brain, it just is a good source of grounding, like a tactile grounding resource, Sure, sure. especially if you want to go through a mantra. And that's what it's, my understanding is, is that's what it's there for is to hone in on a mantra you're praying the mantra 108 times. Mm. But as with most things, you know, sometimes they will snap or break. And sure, sure. A lot of people that I've talked to or have told me that when that happens, it's just time to let that go and, and return it to the earth, you know, make, make an offering with it mm. and then start something new. So I'm in the process of putting a new one together. Oh, so yours broke. Yes, mine broke. It broke more than once, but I didn't. I was kind of in denial um, <laughs> and, and wanted to salvage yeah. it. But, and it's just, I've had these beads for a while. Actually, I was with Amanda when I got these beads and just haven't put them together, but it's mm -hmm. coming now. Is that symbolically representing something, do you think, that you need to let go? Is that like what you're saying is the meaning that when that happens, that's something you need to just let go? Or is it oh, just saying no. like the item itself, just let it go, you know? Well, I think both and, but yeah. certainly when I did make that mala an offering, it was, I know the time and place, I don't know the exact date, sure, but I know sure. exactly where I was in St. Augustine, Florida, where I call home and, mm. and, and making that an offering was big because I, you know, I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm maybe, maybe I'm in denial if I said I'm not super, uh, like sentimental, mm. but there's certain things so maybe I am super, super, uh, super sentimental and there are certain things in this life that I just, you know, may mean, you know, trash to one and sure, treasure sure. To, the, to me. So Sure. Yeah. I mean, what made you hesitant to say that you were super sentimental? Um, just because a lot of things don't mean shit to me. <laughs> like, like yeah, I'm sure. not, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not a big gift giver. I mm. give it, receiving gifts can be really put me into a real trauma state. I, I'm kind of being tongue in cheek, but oh. but actually serious. Like it can. Oh wow! It wow. can like 
just the act of opening a gift in front of people can be really traumatic for me because I feel like I'm often forced to lie because they've oh. given me something that was meaningful to them or, yeah. or they, or whatever uh, they felt obligated to bring right, a gift right. or give me a gift. And I find that more times than not, it's like you've handed me a burden because now I feel like returning this or mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want this. And now I've got to pretend that I like this and I don't pretend well. And right. So, it, yeah. And, and what? Boy, would, this, <laughs> yeah. And like what would happen if you were honest? Well, a lot of times that, you know, I am. I, I hope I'm honest in a way that's gracious, you know, but I think that that's the difficulty. And sometimes mm-hmm. like I'll intentionally... If I'm given a gift, I'll intentionally avoid opening it in front of the other, yeah. something along that line. I've I've been known to like siphon gifts from under the tree and hide them. Sure. Wow. So as to not have to open them on Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This is definitely going differently than I had anticipated, but so good to see you, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> just doing my thing. Just doing my All thing right. over here. Deeper, deeper, deeper. Yo. Yeah, and always feel free to ask me questions too. I'm, I'm, I play this game too. You can probe me as deep as you want to go, and I'll just bear open. Um, oh. But yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about where is that coming from? Right, it comes from this deep place of you caring so much so about the other person that you are so worried that if I'm honest, it's gonna hurt them. And like, wow, what a place of love that that is coming from. That's an interesting take. And I, I, yeah, honestly, it was the source of a great strain on, on my marriage mm. because my, my ex's number one love language was gifts Gift and wow. my, Oof. you know, of the five, like mine is like a six or seven it's gifts. And so sure. uh, I would often joke, like I could wrap up some Tic Tacs and, <laughs> hand it to her and it would just make her day to be able to open up a little (laughs) gift. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then I would often like talk myself out of gifts and I want, I aspire to be more generous. Yeah. And, and then when I do give, you know, it's often out of something that I feel really deeply about and don't get me wrong, Nicole, like I've received a number of gifts that, that are are sentimental. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So I don't want to, I, I did a whole thing with Amanda flipped on the video camera around Christmas just before Christmas because I Christmas is like freaking nightmare to me I'm sure and then I I have a 10 year old and a 7 year old that love Christmas and love gifts and love they mama Mm -hmm. and the grandparents and they all shower them with all this stuff sure that I see go in one hand and into the other and into the trash bin and it just it messes with me so i started i'm like two years ago i said to them what about this christmas flip the script and i'm gonna give you guys cash and you guys can choose to do with that money what you want and i said what do you think is fair for this christmas each and they said I think they said 25 bucks each. Mm-hmm, and I'm mm-hmm. like, yes. And I'm like, well, what about $100 each? 
And then you guys can do whatever you want. It was the sweetest thing to see both my children chose to get their mom a gift first. Thinking of themselves, which I thought was sweet. And then they thought about, uh, got gifts for each other first. And then started buying things for themselves. And it was just, it it was fun. And then it was like this win-win. And then this year rolled around and they looked forward to it. It was like, so just kind of. Like you with anarchy, and I would love to hear more sure. of your story, but, you know, it's flipping the script on the paradigm mm. you know, of, the, of the expectations and the rules sure. and regulations. And I, I remember leaving when I left Susan in December of 2018, the whole mantra or the whole mindset was like, if I don't do this, I run the risk of just living the rest of my life and and not being able to show my children a second side of life, a different side. Mm, wow! Like if I stay in this, I'm going to be in this Oof. this construct yes. of these rules and yes. regulations. And Daddy marches to the beat of a new drummer, and it's scary because I don't have my act together because of all these unknowns. But I'd I'd rather run the risk. Yeah. And while it's been super hard and very painful parts of it and very dark night of the solely i have have had multiple occurrences where we're in the midst of an experience like taking them paddleboarding down the river mm-hmm. camping where i just realized this would not be happening mm-hmm. so it's just like i'm reminded of the beauty of the decision you know yeah. the hard decision yeah 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 um, and I, I love how you grounded it so much so in it's not even about me it's about my daughters my children or is it daughters both daughters a daughter and son son okay yeah so yeah it's not about me it's my children and for them I will bravely step into this identity that I know to be more authentic to me because I need them to see that and that will teach them so much truth could you paint a little bit more of the two worlds that you were straddling at that time yeah so in 2017, the beginning of 2017, I was at a at a place where I'd been pastoring, including my, you know, my ministry through undergrad. And I just briefly, I converted from atheism through my teen years, high school and converted to Christianity when I was 21. And then really just jumped right into ministry. My story of conversion kind of preceded me. And I jokingly referred in the denomination, if you've ever heard of Seventh-day Adventist, mm-hmm. a chance. Okay. So in that denomination, I became a B-level celebrity, <laughs> meaning there's, 20, there's 22 million Adventists worldwide. Sure. And they have one of the largest private education systems, one of the largest hospital uh, health systems on the planet. And not to fail to mention a very large church system. And I literally spoke all over the world to human beings, blah, blah, blah. Wow. And then in 2017, I, I'm sitting in bed one night and, um, and I was really suffering because I'm like, where is God? Mm-hmm. And here I'm pastoring a church that's growing, but I'm like, I don't f- feel God. I mean, yeah, if I'm listening to music, I can feel good or emotions can come up or if I hear a moving story emotions come up but I've never physically felt God seen Mm. God heard God yeah my senses have not 
experience and more importantly my inner i really could not see a palpable difference between of my inner life of my inner struggles of bc or ad yes i was doing all these things in the name of god and and going to church and and had had a wonderful experience but then i'm like what am i do? i was labeled a sex addict i was in like 12 steps but i'm like where is god if i'm an addict yeah. I thought God agreed to like give me this new heart and purify me from sure. the inside out. And that's the gospel I believe. That's what I subscribe to. That's right. what I'm proclaiming. But then then my marriage has fallen apart. Inner life, some of the, you know, deep struggles I've had. I just don't it feels like God doesn't really care. Mm. In January of 2017, I come across Dr. Roland Griffiths does this TED talk from Johns Hopkins University. I think at that time it was already a couple years old. And I'm watching this like 60 some year old polished man in suit and tie, the most unpsychedelic looking human being. You know, he doesn't look like a hippie type of guy. And he's just rattling off the incredible findings that Johns Hopkins has discovered after over 15 years of studying clinical uh, cases for psilocybin and its efficacy for healing depression, anxiety, addiction issues, PTSD, and end of life. And quite frankly, I'm laying there in bed watching this thing next to my bride, and I'm like, my noggin was blown. Mm. I'm like, I'm suffering from these some of these things. I've been praying, seeking, fasting, eating communion as much as possible, like doing whatever I could to to get the fix, but it wasn't happening. Mm. And so I was in this crisis. I was actually, yeah, I'll take a breath. Sure, yeah, yeah, take a breath for a moment. What I'm thinking about from my own experience is how painful that must have been to have been in that place because... I feel like what Christianity really pushes is if you're not feeling that transformation, it means you need to pray more. Yeah. You need more, God. You have so much sin that you have not confronted that you need to let go. Your your heart must right. be hardened somewhere. Right. Which, I mean, I could go off on, you know, on Christianity for some time and, and gratefully my path has kind of led me to this place where I have deep compassion for Christians. Of course. But I'm not at this like angry, I'm going to take the church down. But it is interesting to hear people like, you know, that do want to give the sentiments. Like one one guy reached out to me recently that I know, and he's like, you need to pray that God will circumcise your heart. I'm like, all right, so brother, after 20 plus years of following Jesus and doing all of these things, oh, that's it. I miss the, it's always, you know, it's always <laughs> in your court, like the the picture of, uh, out of Christianity, I feel like is really of a God that is proactive. Yep. In people's life listens and basically telling you, you, you have an issue that I can resolve, and because I love you, I'm going to initiate mm-hmm. this resolving the change healing. Right. Yep. But for me, for whatever reasons, and I, I have my rationale now, but that that healing never came, and I think. I think the big difference is, you know, in the work that I'm doing now and in the journey that I'm on now is that I'm now getting into the heart of the matter by actually turning inward. And instead of looking at myself as this dirty sinner yep. that needs to jump through these particular hoops in order to be saved, 
it's like no let's let's resource yourself to actually see are you able to look in are you able to metabolize this pain can we can can you actually as amanda talks about the inalienable sovereignty can you actually find your sovereign power mm. which which again these these things are are very uh, contrary to modern day christianity oh completely right? <laughs> i as someone who was equally a follower granted never to a level of going down a pastoral route and doing that whole thing that this is this is a whole different level than i ever reached in the amount of time that you have spent but yeah, I just remember this huge pressure that if I had a journal and I actually read it recently and I was praying that God would take me away so that he could fill me up. And just even that thought, right? So much of me, like strip me of my sin because all of my being is quote unquote flesh, right? It is sinful. Mm -hmm. I need it to drip away so that God can fill me. And that level of dissociation to yourself mm -hmm. and your own desires and your process I don't want to talk poorly about Christians who are in that faith, right? But I will say that the dogma is inherently harmful to people's sense of self. Yeah, yes. I don't think that that's what Christianity means at its core. I don't think that that's what Jesus taught if, you know, believing the text of what we see. But I think yeah. that the way that it's brought now and pushed together on people is inherently problematic. Yeah, yeah. I'm liking the phrase lately, 21st century Christianity, because I do think there's so many, you mentioned the word dogma, there's so much dogma, there's so much cultural things that are taught, mm -hmm. beliefs that are taught within Christianity that one could argue have very little to do with Jesus. Yes. The other thing that blew my pumpkin talking to one of my kind of atheist agnostic friends that we were in college together at an at, he grew up Adventist is he said, you know, it's interesting that the Bible was written around roughly 500 uh, mile radius. Mm. The 16, you have a 1600 year gap between when the Bible, the Bible that people often refer to the book of Job as the first book written, but there's a 1600 year span that the Bible was written in 500 miles. And and here you have these people claiming we are the chosen ones from God. Everybody else is going to hell in a handbasket. And oh, by the way, we're the ones writing this too. Mm -hmm. And what dawned on me is that wall in that 1600 year span, in that 500 mile radius, you had God communicating to these cultures and tribes and peoples of all different types at the exact same time that we're receiving different messages or different insights or different allies. These can, these in theology, these plants, sure. you know, these are living wisdom, you know? So open my worldview to, to be in a posture of a lot more expansiveness, openness, yes. curiosity, yes, humility, that I find really rejuvenating. And then, and then honestly, when I'm communicating to Christians, it's happening more recently that I'm noticing this, but I, I can understand where they're coming from, you know, exactly what they're saying. I know what they're going to say before they're going to yes, say it. Exactly. And then I realized too, that it's not, you know, it's also not my job to pull them out or mm. to tell them they're wrong or to, you know, because we're just we're just dealing with a totally different paradigm. We're looking we're looking at life now through completely different lenses. 
and you know god bless you jesus loves you and and peace right i mean my mom and sister are mormon mm -hmm. and i know that came up with with amanda because she was born and raised mormon and i did listen to that interview today i just mm -hmm. happened to i was like i'm gonna go check this girl what do you think what, what were your initial thoughts about me oh I i'm actually really intrigued because you mm -hmm. you dropped into that you you were in this uh evangelical world and yeah. now you're doing sex coachy and and all of these things so i i'm very intrigued oh yeah. and then and then you're phding is that Sidey, but yeah, same sort of deal. Sidey, thank you. I have a D men, believe it or not, a doctorate sure. of ministry. Amazing. But a Sidey, excellent. Queer piece of just identifying that, the open relationship, like all of these things. I'm like, it's just like a yes. I just, I love the, the openness and, and Amanda in my life, which I've now mentioned her at least a half a dozen times, it seems, but that's, that's also been one of the more epic or most epic right up there is most epic elements of this journey that i've been mm. on with divorce in 2019 and then amanda and i met at the end of 2020 and here i'm like i don't know what i i still am working a lot out trust me mm. but here i'm this like agnostic -y, what the fucky is going on -y <laughs> type that. of guy yeah and I had this 83-year-old man, you know, because it had been like a, over a year since I had been divorced. And this guy, I invited him over, him and his wife over for dinner. And he was like, you need to get online and start dating. And I'm like, nah, I'm not ready. Da, da, da. And I got online, opened up Facebook. Some, I didn't even know it existed, but Facebook has dating. Sure, yeah. And long story short, Amanda and I met. We had a Zoom call for an hour. And I went down there on November 8, 2020, uh, to her home. And it's just been an incredible journey yeah. that here I am, this ex-pastor that's met a founder of a church. Yeah. Here I was working with psilocybin alone. I was not in community at mm. all. I was just doing it all alone and for the most part anyway. And here I meet this priestess who's holding ceremony and working with these medicines, uh, you know, in just an incredible way. She, again, she's founded her own church. All Because you're a sex coach, I'll go ahead and tell you the first night we met, we ended up on her back porch to ingest some, some uh, cannabis out of a bong it. and it was cold out. So we, we end up with a bong and it, again, freezing out there and we're talking and we had this kind of blanket and hug. This was kind of our first hug and we're yeah. holding and her, her face is in my, mm. her mouth is close to my ear and she starts pouring out her vision for her church and the work she's doing. And I literally, literally got an erection. Ugh. This wow. woman and hearing hearing her vision. Wow. And te and tears. I mean, I was emotional yeah. because I'm like, I can't believe I'm holding another human being mm. that all of my all of what I'm doing in this life right now and, and everything that I've left behind, like this woman is affirming and validating so and it's much. core to her being. <laughs> like I was just like absolutely had my my noggin blown i think that's the third time yeah I'm using that phrase and i absolutely love that you talked about how you got an erection from that because people really need to expand their concept of what is erotic right mm, like yeah. <laughs> you, 
like, you know, here's this person deeply, deeply connecting with your Mm -hmm. core sense of identity and all this that you've gone through. So yeah, that is a deeply erotic and intimate moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. We've, we've actually shared that story now a few times. And obviously, it's not something we had planned or saw coming, no pun intended. But I was like, I, I just, again, often find ourselves and and I can speak for myself I often find myself in the relationship just blown away by mm-hmm. gift of it all and then furthermore you know now cuz she's been a long stay in the bay area for for the past 20 some years doing this type of work and and our community is is growing as a couple and that too has been just really beautiful to see the evidence of of other people where I got, I just went through a lot. Like I, I got labeled, especially in 2017, when I first started getting into entheogens again, you know, again, the Ted talk and then Michael Pollan's how to change your mind really just set me on a, on a path, but I got labeled bipolar, you know, you're, you're manic. It just really, it really put me into a state of despair and like curiosity but also over you know being overwhelmed like holy shit what if I've lost the plot here and I'm just going down the wrong path yes it just so there's been a lot of scary and it's like you know I feel like I feel like that's part of the well part of the hero's journey you know we 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 go through these seasons and I certainly have and I feel like I'm still emerging to be honest Mm. of this you know, the proverbial dark night of the soul or the the death of the ego. And and I'm certain that there's more ego to die off. But, you know, working with these medicines and with the intentions and all of these things, it, it, it really takes you to your core. It really, really takes you to your core. And then having a partner like Amanda who mirrors mm. such a practiced, disciplined, grounded, priestessy, goddessy, healer it's just such a gift it is it is a real gift to my soul and i believe gift to those who get to to meet her and be around her and yes 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 the beauty of connection and deep intimacy with someone who can see you fully it is such yeah there it's i like when she said don't f up the ineffable so i'm not going to try and describe it you know what i mean but exactly what you're talking about um i have to ask have you heard of the sacred mushroom on the cross? I'm sure you have. I'm sure that is. Um, I don't know if I've heard of that vernacular. Are we talking about oh. how pe- people have, have are discovering like Christianity and psilocybin and that type of thing? Yes, the sacred mushroom on the cross, the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. He was a pastor, someone who studied them fully in the original text and then came out to say that from his studies he really thinks that christianity was an eastern fertility cult that when they'd say oh i take the flesh of the dew of the morning that was actually mushrooms Mm -hmm. yes i have there's a couple there's this couple that they were on like they were in like the holy lands or whatever and they started seeing the amanita muscaria Mm. mushroom painted in these old temples and you know christian temples and they start they were like huh that's interesting and it just set them on this path and they've been studying they have i think their book is called like the psychedelic gospels or something like that but they they are out 
teaching, sharing, and I would love to certainly love to learn more. I know. Yeah. I mean, and it's so interesting to me as Christians, like how could we not even think that, you know, this is a gift from God, right? Like if that yeah. everything he makes, everything on this planet, why did he make those mushrooms for us? You know, just thoughts. Um, yeah. When I was Christian, I never would have, you know, it's of the same level of like, don't get drunk, don't partake, you know, too much of the wine sort of idea for me where I would just not even think it was possible. But it's interesting to me that Christianity nowadays does not seem very open to even the possibility of the benefits of something like psychedelics or plant medicine. Right. So within within Adventism specifically, which I'm, I was always ecumenical, meaning I had good relationships with people from across denominations, but but within Adventism in particular, there was a strong, a strong defense about anything that was mystical. So anything yes. mystical is of the devil. It's new agey. It's creeping in. And I'm like, and the, you know, it's Eastern religion. I'm like, well, Jesus was from the East. Like, what, what do we, <laughs> so there's this, there's like this innate fear. Yes around mysticism especially in these traditional protestant religions mm -hmm. that it's everything there's an answer for everything and if it doesn't fit into our context then it's a no right and you're going to hell in a handbasket and i find you know the word entheogen was coined in 1979 by a group of scholars scientists who I believe were faith-based, but what they when they coined the phrase entheogen to offer an alternative to the word psychedelic, what they were saying is entheo, so theology is the study of God, entheogen is the God within. We're recognizing Ooh. that these allies help you to actually experience the God within. What is modern 21st century Christianity, I believe, wanna hinder you from or hold you from is really tapping into the God within. So we're gonna make conspiracies about these allies and we're gonna judge them, we're gonna critique them. Or as one person said, when I was an advocate of cannabis, as a, uh, instead of using uh, amphetamines for my ADHD, wall pastoring, you know, they're like, well, well, not everything, going back to your point, not everything out of the earth is, is good. You know, look at, at poison ivy and blah, blah, blah. These, these chemicals are being now shown, the scientific data is precedented, coupled with the fact that many of my Christian friends, also scientifically backed, many people within Christianity are on your SSRIs, your antidepressants, your ADHD medicine, your sleeping medicines, and all of these things. And these are shown to not only be uh, just merely putting a Band-Aid on, uh, some of them have tremendous side effects. Whereas these natural allies that we're looking at and, and using and incorporating in a ceremonial way in our context, they are shown to be non-addictive and complete healers that again, you know, people will be critical of me and that's fine, but no offense, but it's like, if you want to, if you want to actually come see yourself and see under the hood, go and sit in a ceremony. You know, it's, it's, I, every time I sit in a ceremony, I'm, it's often coming out of my mouth to affirm the group because I feel like it's so brave. Mm. Like it is brave to come into this setting. 
to walk into a church on a Saturday or Sunday morning and sing some songs and drop coin in the bucket and walk out where you have no real accountability. No one's going, no one is really knowing what's going on behind under the hood Yeah, is a very different experience than walking into a ceremony where people are going to see you at, at some of your most vulnerable and walk with you through some of the deepest and darkest or some of the most joyous and highs of highs. And, but it's very, very vulnerable, hard reality that you're facing you're also facing it in a way that is very healing and very real. It's very tangible. It's, it's, um, to me, it's just a night and day different experience. And though my, my sphere is smaller these days, I'm just so grateful for the authenticity and, uh, and the healing, you know, is happening in my own life and, and as evidence in the lives of others as well. It's a beautiful thing. I feel like one of the most profound things in my opinion, that it does is soften us so much so, just soften mm-hmm. us. So when you are confronting those things, you're much softer to it and you feel the full emotions of it. And I obviously have no scientific proof on this, but I, I feel like I notice when I meet other people that are just so open, vulnerable, and willing to share their good and bad sides. I'm like, you've done some psychedelics in your path. Like, right? It, it changes people. Like, I don't know how else to put that, right? But it, it does. It, it makes you feel naked emotionally. And once you've been naked emotionally and still stood there and been okay on the other side, mm-hmm. you walk through this world in a different way. And could you imagine if church when mm. they talk about taking communion every sunday if the flesh taking of the flesh you know from the morning dew was really a mushroom every sunday and you had that level of just emotional softening and connection mm. with your community of people like All right be a game changer for sure i think society would act in a completely different way right and I think to your point, whether it be psychedelic, because we, we all have these chemicals already running, the, the DMT is already in us. I think your point about when you meet somebody and there's this, there's this softness, yes, it could be psychedelics and or yes, it could be that this person, it's just evidence that they have gone through something intensely painful where, it, back to what you said, they've been stripped naked and bare yep. and either they were able to behold themselves in that vulnerable space mm-hmm. and or ideally even in the context of community and they've emerged healer uh, as a healer or at least more whole in their life there is just this softening softness you know where it's like who the hell am i to judge you know, let me approach this with curiosity you know, what's the elevation here it just it's a paradigm changer for sure one of the things that our community is recognizing is is there's so much awareness with like podcasters like your aubrey marcus and joe rogan's that are talking about these things so publicly and advocating for these things and your michael pollens of the world that you know these books are really influential so now you have this awareness of people that are like huh i what if this would work for me but then they don't have the community or they don't have the support. They don't have the environment or they don't even know where to go, you know, or they don't, they don't qualify for the clinical trial, but they want these medicines. And so 
granted, I feel blessed. And actually the medicine showed me in one of my journeys of, of the importance of being out here on the West Coast and where I live um, as part of the part of the whole trajectory of the path that I, I believe that I'm on. But that is to provide opportunities for people to be in a very cared for environment. I don't have, it's not to say that I know groups and resources, even in Chicago, I do know some people in some areas, but I would say that that is one of the things that Living Wisdom Church is looking to do right now is we're building a whole, really putting together an entire blueprint to help us produce reproducible gatherings that where we're even training up leaders that can hold space. And obviously that's a long process and all of that, but we do offer a free, uh, we just launched a free monthly, first Wednesday of every month, we have a free online on Zoom uh, entheogen preparation and integration circle that Amanda and I are holding for this very purpose. So, but to co-facilitate with her has been both just really beautiful mm. and humbling. And now we're moving into a place in March uh, together where we'll be able yeah. to host together yeah, and I, I love the way that you continue to see so much in Amanda, and I'm sure she is has to be inspired by you as well to walk this life of being a pastor and proclaiming to be deeply connected to God and to let that go and embrace a whole new identity. Yeah, yeah, she – it blows me away. I mean, there, there's a couple things come up for me with that. Number one is there's there's a book by a Christian author. He's an Anglican priest named Richard Rohr, and he wrote this book called Falling Upward. And it it was just on my Audible on loop. You know, just I, I don't know how many times I would have gone through that book, but basically what he talks about is these two halves of life. And he – seems to insinuate that for those there's like the fewer the minority go through this phase where they enter into the second half of life where in order to get there everything dissolves so my title position office ultimately my house (sighs) my marriage my paycheck my bennies my i didn't just everything just all dissolved and it was just like what the fuck i was just so and just so cut off, like, is how I felt, like, abandoned and, you know, not to play too, too victim-y, but it was... Absolutely, It was though. hard to not feel victim-y a bit, and, like, what is going on with this thing? And then to, yes, be in this partnership with Amanda, where, I'll be, I'll be honest, like, I will tell her often, like, Amanda, please remind me of your love for me, your appreciation. Yeah. Maybe because out of my out of my my number one love language in my intimacy partners is affirmation, so I tend to give a lot of affirmation, and it's not that I want somebody to just blow hot air, but it's like I want to be reminded or I want to know what you see because no offense, right now has been a season where I see a lot of pain and suffering, and I'm not you know. You know, so having your your validation, but the beauty is with Amanda is a couple things. One is she's massive into prayer and the attributes that the woman was calling into her life, I happen to embody. It's like lucky me because hmm. it's like, it's somehow, it's just the way I show up for her. It works. It's what she, it works. So it's like 
how beautiful is that when it's not me having to like, sure, there's effort involved at times yes. or things you go out of your way, but there's so much ease and flow. Yeah, It's just like, holy shoot. And as a matter of fact, we had opened uh, her, her past. She's been around a lot of polyamory and, sure, and open sure, relationships, sure. ethical non-monogamy, the whole, all of it. And I've had none of it. Okay. I've had none of that, none of poly open. And we decided to go down that path. And it was just an inner, you know, there was some interesting dynamics and I read some books on it and mm -hmm. just kind of learned. And then ultimately we ended up breaking off at one point, stayed friends. Cause we're going to be, I believe we're, we're in going to be working together as, as, as ambassadors of prayer, which is a phrase that came out of her mouth, but we pray together, we're healers together. We, we, I see that work. And here we broke off the relationship at one point to come back even stronger. And I'll, I'll confess that some of it was my own. She's a, a couple years older than I am. And like, there was some of these insecurity pieces sure. of me or superficial pieces of me that needed some healing and, and some clearing. And now we're just at this, at we've, we've nixed the open relationship piece and just celebrating the monogamy and, and celebrating how we show up for one another. And I just honestly, and, and I, I want to be careful to not put her too high on a pedestal, but as I've alluded to earlier, I just have not been around many human beings and never have I had this close proximity to somebody who walks the walk. Mm. I mean, she is like a very, I like to, a well-oiled machine. She is very dialed in her pra practice and process. And in my kind of ADHD, non-disciplined, didn't have rules or structures as a kid much, and da 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 da, -da it's just so impressive and awe-inspiring. And so I really do believe in the work that she's doing. And, and I'm quite frankly, it, for lack of a better phrase, it is, it's, it's very much an honor to show up with her. And there's times where there's challenges. Mm. As I like to tell her, she, she uses source. And I think that was one of the questions. How do you define source or God? And that's where she she talked about the ineffable. Yeah. But there's just been times where I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know who I'm praying to, you know. And and here's this woman that is so kind of grounded and polished. And she extrapolates a little bit from Buddhist and a little, a little Hindu here, Native American tradition, Amazonian traditions here. And it's like back to that comment about the 500 mile radius that the Bible was written in. It's like out of that desire for these different world re religions and where is the love? How can I under, where's the healing? What can we learn from these other cultures here in this partner is this depth of, of knowledge. So it's just, it's almost like I, I texted my ex the other day who she's with a partner who's very wealthy and, and, uh, and loves gifts, just showers her and my kids with gifts. Texted her and just was like, does it ever hit you that maybe we've gotten, we received what our hearts were looking for? Because I really, I find so much in Amanda that in that, back to that statement about us being broken up, 
I just came to the place where I'm like, this woman embodies so much. Yeah, that you want it. I love and adore. And, you know, we're moving in together. We have, I have my kids and my kids adore her. And there's a lot there, but there's just so much there. Yeah, that it's undeniable. And so I, I am, it baffles me, but I am grateful that I show up in a good way that's nourishing to her and supportive to her and her goals and dreams and aspirations. And we truly are becoming better people because of it individually and then as a couple and and then our healing network is growing and just a lot of beauty, a lot of yes, beauty. Yes, yes. So I was thinking... Have you heard of – well, I went K1. That was a lot of emotional intimacy to share. And I I love seeing how authentic you are when you express your love for her. And it is just so clear the many ways that you look up to her. I'm also thinking about – have you heard about relationship anarchy? Not that phrase, no. Okay. So I – what I'm studying for my dissertation and hoping to do as a future clinician studying relationships is like how can we get outside of this binary of – monogamy or poly, right? We have relationships. You have relationships with a ton of people, okay? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. not one or the other is more important. And when you were with Amanda the first time in an open relationship, your relationship didn't stop when you stopped having sex with her, right? You took on a different relationship role. You were now platonic with her and it was still a relationship mm-hmm. you had in your life, right? And so mm-hmm. it's like, I I don't think there's anything wrong with having relationships that go through these evolutions, right? Where you start out open, Mm -hmm. you go platonic, Mm -hmm. then you go back to quote unquote monogamous. Mm -hmm. But really what you're doing is closing Mm -hmm. down and creating levels of safety. And if now Mm -hmm. 20 years later, you're like, you know what? I really want to open back up and have that experience. Sure. Mm -hmm. Like how do we create relationships Mm -hmm. that can evolve over time rather than being like you're monogamous or you're poly? It's like, no, you are with this person Mm -hmm. right now. And what else do you want? Like let's start from there and create it. Beautiful. I'm I'm glad you said that, honestly, because we're, I think, I think when, when it comes to one's inalienable sovereignty, which is at the core of Amanda's, you know, really at the core of her belief system, her whole worldview opens up. I mean, and you're right. I think these labels of monogamy versus poly and all of that, it's like, it is, it is when it comes, when it boils down, I think labels can be can serve their purpose in the sense that we're speaking a language, you know, and language is going to break down, but it can help us to define things or to understand things. It can also confuse things. But I think your point valid and I like that you're using it. It was did you call it relational anarchy? Yeah, it's relationship anarchy is the term. For somebody hearing it on one hand is it could be triggering and they're like, oh, it's just like anything goes. But in reality, it's inviting one to say, okay, if the stereotypes and all the rule and all the expectations were pulled back, back to what you just said, what do you really want? What do you want? Is something lacking? Look, I struggle with, with insecurity and like, and I share them with Amanda in part because it's healing in part because it's laughable. It's like, what the fuck? But like, there's men in our lives that are freaking amazing. And I can sit around and be jealous about these guys that are these like, I mean, she knows some incredible human beings. I do too, but 
Like I can sit around and be jealous of them or I can look at it and, and see this as being really edifying and this is feeding her and it just, but it, it boils back in my simplistic brain back to the paradigms of like, yep. you know, for those of us who were raised with monogamy and it was just, you know, you stay in the marriage and the, the dad isn't meant to have a meal with a woman and the, one, the mom's not to meant to have coffee with another man. All of these rules and regulations can really set one up for failure. And for those of us that are opening up a little bit, people like me, it's like, wait a second, maybe there is another way of looking at this whole thing where instead of my ego getting wounded, I'm actually celebrating my partner's life being edified. And as Amanda's helped me to see, like, then she's coming back stronger and like better and more complete and it's only enhancing us. It's not not something to be threat threatening. Yes. As painful as some of it can be, I think there's also a lot of beauty in the expansion. So kudos to you for your studies. I'm Thank I'm you. so intrigued by <laughs> what you'll discover and how you'll serve and all of that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It's funny that you brought up that the anarchy could scare some people. So this is something that has been going on within the ethical non-monogamy, which I guess it is considered non-monogamy, right? Monogamy in and of itself has this really weird structure about levels of importance of who you should be spending time with, exactly what you said. So it's technically not that, but it's also not necessarily poly, right? It is this freedom. And so I was thinking about it, like, since there is no published literature on it and there's no books on it, right? Hi here. Like, how can I take these ideas and build it into something that does sound more like digestible? So I was like, liberated love, conscious, co-created connection. Like what, I don't even know. And I'm just curious if you have any ideas of like what could capture this because it's true. Anarchy has a lot of negative connotation with it. So are you the one who coined the phrase? No, that was um, Andy Nordgren in like 2002 or something, like super early poly kind of people who were taking this phrase of just like, let's take off all labels of this weird hierarchy. I think for the people that understand our anarchy and recognize it for what it is, as something that it, that is elevating and benevolent and coming from a good place. I think for the pe person that hears that word and just thinks of like tagging and people destroying, yes, you know, like, exactly. but I like the phrase because it is uh, be triggering and then I love how you defined it, where I can't remember the exact phrase you just used, but you talked about the sacred connection or the conscious, you know. Co-created uh, connection. Yeah, yeah. That's the piece. If I'm consciously co-creating, and that's another big word, you know, or big, big piece is that I learning to recognize I'm co-creating this, you know, I'm, so I, I think there's just. For those people, again, for the person that feels open, I think, it, I think you're on to a lot of beauty and a lot of power empowering an individual to actually step into their inalienable sovereignty, to step into their power. And instead of it being under the shadow and like, let me sweep this lust under the carpet. Yes. What if I was in a relationship where I could come and it wasn't a threat say, hey, I'm really into this or I'm into that, or, you know, can we try this on? And, uh, you know, 
it feels very liberating what you're describing. Yeah, and maybe it takes 20 years of intimacy building before you could get to that point where that's what you want in your relationship. Fine. Right. Great. And maybe you never want it. Great. You know what? Like, let's be free in this. And exactly what you're talking about, that sovereignty of like, it's kind of like that same thing, Christianity, this model, like, this is how you live your life. This is what you do. And this is how you achieve. It's like, no, like you have the freedom to make your world what you want it to be, right? Obviously co-created with someone, but you have that ability to craft the relationship you want. And I feel like it's insane to think that when I start with at this point will sustain me all the way through 60 years. You're going to be a whole different person and you might want different things. And like, let's just leave space for that. Right. What breaks my heart, I mean, for the couples that have been together for, you know, ages, my parents being, being one of them, you know, I think there's a lot of beauty, but if you, I, my mom on a recent trip last November, I took my kids back to Florida for a couple weeks and my mom shared some things that just are heartbreaking. Like, of of really limiting herself and and then you know you get to a place at the end of life and it's like you know back to that epiphany with my kids and i still see it paying off but it's like if i'm gonna live if if i have the best that i know and i we could go into the oneness and all that but what i do know is is that here now i've got a stab at life i have this chance and i'm gonna have to live with the choices that i make and for for my mom in that scenario there's to me there's a lot of sadness and a mm. lot of like restriction i think there's also a lot to be said about long term relationships but how much better if in those long term relationships some of these constructs that are so limited were to be whether they were completely evaporated or maybe just dialed down a bit to open up that freedom I just, I see that being just so very helpful. Case in point is me cohabitating. You know, I've known Amanda for a little over a year now. And here I was a Christian pastor that would have been, you know, absolutely fired on the spot if I was, you know, cohabitating. It's just a non, it's like not even a, not even that. I don't, I just don't even paradigm that I once would have been in. It's just so foreign to me now. And I think that that's the beauty, Nicole, of of anarchy. I think that's the beauty of the inalienable sovereignty is like when we can step in and just be freed up to be in the wonder and the curiosity and start letting go of some of these definitions or or expectations or, you know, paradigms that have been put on us. And on one hand, it's unnerving because it's like the moment you start unwrapping one, suddenly you just start realizing how invasive this is and it, it it can be somewhat overwhelming and at the same time bring me to a place of great solace of great peace of great joy of great awe and wonder and expansion not because i have it all figured out but because life is opening up mm. and continuing to expand as opposed to being in this controlled you know, this controlled box yes uh, Yes. 
Yes. And I'm thinking about the couples that have stayed together for multiple years. And you know what? There is a lot of people that would find so much joy in that because this life and what you make meaning is totally up to you. So if your meaning is that I'm a dutiful person and I'm going to live out this duty, that I married this person and I'm going to stay with them forever, you can have a great life because that is what you find meaningful, right? If you find meaningful this level of self-exploration that you were talking about and I've always been grappling with, then that sort of thing feels restrictive. And it's ultimately coming back to this question of like, what do you want in your life? What makes you find meaning? And it sounds like you're living. Like what you're talking about is just being fully awake, fully in yourself, fully in your desires and fully in your vulnerability. I mean, I don't know how else to live. You know, what's, what's beautiful about what you're identifying in the relationship or what comes up for me is Love is easy. It's easy to fall in love, you know, and love comes in all different shapes and sizes. Trust and respect can be really, really hard. Yeah. Be really difficult. And a buddy of mine, a few years ago, before the divorce, we were sitting in a, in a car not too far from here, smoking some herbal cannabis. And he, he as I was describing my plight to him, He's like, oh man, she doesn't, she doesn't trust or respect you anymore. She lost her respect for you. And I swear to you, Nicole, that was like, that was like a moment now that I'm saying, I don't know that I'll ever forget it because for me, it was a very clarifying moment where I drove away from that conversation. Like, holy shit, my bride does not respect me or trust me. I'm trying to make decisions based out of following my heart. She, she backed it up and affirmed it by saying, Matthew, as you just said, as you've heard me talking about and rambling and sharing my own life, you just said, Matthew, you've been on this seeking, you're, you're searching. My ex will tell me, you're seeking and searching frustrates me. It's just like, I don't do that. Why can't you just accept all this stuff? And I'm like, so here's this woman that doesn't, she loves me. Yep love me but she doesn't trust me and she doesn't respect me and i would submit that once those two things are gone you can be loving all you want but if you don't trust and respect you're you're done right and and i think the vulnerability piece of what you're what you're what i sense you're on to and opening up and freeing the human race up for those of you those people that are fortunate to work with you are going to be freed up to to again put down the paradigm and say what do you what is really at your core and it's not to say that i have my life all figured out it is to say that i am i am doing my due diligence to show up with authenticity and integrity and the 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 beauty back to the relationship with amanda maybe we should come on sometime i don't know Back to her, it's like there's nothing I can say to this one. Yes, some things will be painful or emotions can come up, but the, the love is there. And then this trust, this this underlying and overlaying current of love and, or trust and respect are are there. So it's like we're constantly focused on the, okay, how is this elevating us? Yes. What is, and it's just, it, it opens up so much beauty and wonder and, appreciation and faith and just all these things that I've been calling for. Yes. And that is so beautiful beautiful to see the way that it lights you up. And I'm, 
I think what we know from psychology is that we have a confirmation bias, right? So the second what I'm coming back to, the more I study psychology, is how important it is, the narratives that we tell ourselves, because that is what we take away. We have this moment with a stimulus and, you know, some sort of reaction situation. And then the narratives that we tell ourselves about that and what we take away from that moment that gets lost in the past is what we hold on to and then craft our identity, right? So then here's your partner coming in, starting to lose respect for you, has the love, but starts to lose the mm-hmm. respect and the trust. Once you have that narrative running through your mind, now you have a confirmation bias. So when you do something that shows that you're not worthy of respect or worthy of trust, it starts building up, building up, building up. And now you have all this information and narrative. And now, yeah, you're in a really tough place because now you got to work through all those thoughts that started way back when in this small moment, right? That maybe there was this loss of connection between the two of you. And then it just goes. I mean, this is the problem with people coming into couples therapy at that point, right? When you've already lost that respect, all of this stuff now that you have to peel yes. back with onions yes. of how did we get to this point? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm passionate about it. Well, that's so good. We're, we're on to that right now. Amanda and I are in the midst of this dynamic right now where I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and it triggered an awareness of me of a narrative. Glad you use that phrase, word. Uh, but a narrative that was playing in my brain. Clearly, I was aware was there, but I didn't have the awareness enough to articulate it until it triggered something in the podcast triggered. If you didn't bring that up to her with that full level of vulnerability, what happens is it sits there and then it grows. And then you have one other confirmation moment where you see it again. Then you're like, yep. And then you hold that and you start resenting it. Yes. And that's – so I'm going to tell you what it was, Nicole. Yeah, what was it? I had this story, story, a narrative in my brain that Amanda didn't want me to succeed. Part of her that did not want me to succeed. I articulated that to her. And, of course, it it did the way – do you know Marco Polo? Yes. It's it's like a walkie-talkie app, like a video – you send a video – more Amanda I think she would own this but she just doesn't do phone real well like she doesn't get on calls much some with some but we don't talk on the phone much but we do send polos over and even though I I felt like I owned it just it ended up being triggering for her and what we're working on though now is like I'm seeing this like I was owning I have this story I've heard that we have some 50 to 80,000 different thoughts every day. And then I've heard that, you know, Joe Dispenza talks about how the bulk of those thoughts are based on non-reality. So like you said, we, we have this experience and then, and then we start making up this story about it. And the story is actually a lie, but it's so real to us because we just keep playing it over and over again in our head. So Amanda's like, WTF, Matthew, all I want is to see you succeed. That's all I want. That's all I pray for. And so back to your point, though, what's happening for us is, is it's providing us fodder because we trust we, the love is uh, granted. I love you. You know, we love each other. Everything's good. But the love is granted. But the trust and the respect that her and I have, 
create this container where I can share this piece. And yes, it triggered her, it didn't land well initially, but we're still in the process of discovery because of the trust and the respect and it's deepening the understanding. And it's also beautiful because then I'm able to articulate some of the stupid bullshit or the filters that I'm like, damn, sweetheart, you're amazing. And here I have this piece of my brokenness, my woundedness that is looking at you out of suspicion. And I hadn't even, I hadn't even articulated it. I hadn't even, it was, I was in my psyche, but now that I'm articulating it, now I can own it and just be like, God, there's this, what is this about? It couldn't be further from the truth. So let's get to the truth and back to, can we rewind and say, okay, where's little Matthew feeling insignificant and that no one gives a shit about him and doesn't want to see him succeed. And so what's it done for, and this is why we're so excited about working with relationship couples. And we're seeing more couples like reach out to us kind of spontaneously. We haven't even advertised anything, but it's like, what's happening for Amanda and I, the honesty comes out. Yes, it was painful or it hurt, but the honesty comes out. And now what's happening? She just texted me. I'm on my way over to give you a hug. Yes. The elevation is happening. Yes. The trust increases. The respect increases. Ultimately, the love increases. It's like a win-win all around. It is. And this is the beauty of relationships of all types, right? Not even just sexual relationships. This level of open communication and that yes. deep seeing of one another and that trust that you have, the, the, when you start looking at that with all of your relationships, it, it you feel yes. so full and saturated in them. Yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking about the quote um, from Nietzsche who says, there's no truth, there's only interpretation. Nice. And I'm just like really leaning no into truth, that. Only yes. Yes. We're like, mm. we, I mean, yes, there is truth. There was a, you know, a capital T truth mm. of reality of some sort of stimulus. So we like to think, you know. And so within that, you know, we might have all saw the same thing, but even in like police reports and all these other pieces, we know people have different views of the same sort of thing, you know, and Amanda talked about even quantum mechanics, right? Whether you view it or not has different, I mean, we just know that so much of reality is based on yourself and your own positioning, right? And so to have that level of awareness where you can see your own thoughts, I think that is so needed and For me personally, Mm. I think the biggest way I found this out was recording the podcast because what I'll do is I'll record four in a week, which means I'm probably going to look at this conversation again in a month, which means in between now and then I have coded in my head what that conversation was like. And I noticed that when I first was starting to do this, I'd be like, that conversation sucked. I ruined it. I stuttered. I did all this stuff. I did all that. Uh, And I'd go back to edit it and I have a literal live recording of the time. And I was like, oh my God, wait, I don't. I don't sound bad. This is what? And I started to recognize, wow, in just a month of not sitting with that real moment, I have created a whole different narrative. And then I come back to say like, how often am I doing that? Oh my God. And having just this huge realization that everything that I tell myself is happening and the way I code this narrative of my life is my reality. Yes. So then I was like... I wrote the quote on my fridge next to the other one. I was like, you can choose your audience, right? When you're looking at Amanda, you're choosing how she's receiving you every moment through how Mm. you're interpreting all Mm. of her stuff. And so, yeah, to have the vulnerability Mm. to say, I am the story I'm telling myself is. 
Mm, and then that beautiful. gives yeah the space for your partner to respond with oh i see yes. it rather than you're doing this you're doing that it's like the story i'm telling up here that's scaring me yes. is this yes yes beautiful that analogy or your experience with your podcast is perfect example of that hits me so many times it's freaking insane i mean I could go on and on about the nightmare that my brain can cause, Same. has caused me. Same. This is why I'm becoming a psychologist. I'm like, can I figure it out, please? Because I just like, I'm not okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one question I do ask everyone is, what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? Golly. I, I love this question. May I start by saying what I wish was more normal in society? I'll say it. I'll say what I wish was more normal was I wish more uh, communities were were available for people like you and me to sit in sacred and safe containers. And what I wish people knew was normal is that there's a lot of very normal, successful, healthy, beautiful human beings that are working with medicines that may be out of your out of your scope of what you thought was normal there's just a lot of normal people out there that are turning to these allies with great with great success to quote bora honestly nicole it's a bit challenging because i kind of take it for granted the the hamiltons of the world that i just kind of take it for granted that these things are more normal or are more accepted but i would love to see to see that, that this not be such a stereotypical or, or like, I think psychedelic, that word is just so stereotyped by Again, so many. Connotation, yeah. Yes. Exactly. Here we are, the power of language, right? And, I, and I'm just thinking too, I mean, this whole podcast, your whole journey, your whole story is such a prime example of what you're saying, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah. For sure. I'm dealing, living it, living it every day, for sure. There's an element of it that does, uh, I don't know if easier is getting, is the right word, because a lot of this work is really tough. Yes. It's not for the faint of heart, in my, in my humble opinion. And, and I, I think a lot of people in this, stere you know, with the stereotypes, just think of it as like, you know, the Timothy Leary of, you know, t dropping out and well, tuning in, I would argue he was on to it. Like this is an opportunity for people to really tune in. And if things have not been working for them, this may be a beautiful opportunity, you know, for some genuine healing. Quit putting the Band-Aid on everything and take the Band-Aid off and yourself. get into the nitty gritty. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And you said you walk, you walk the walk. And that is also one of the biggest things that I was hearing out of your love for Amanda. And I just mm. also want to take the moment to give you words of affirmation that you are walking that walk and it is so clear. Mm, beautiful. Thank thank you, honestly. Yeah, you are, yes. I, I hope you see yeah. that in yourself and feel that in yourself. Bless her heart, because she's sitting here right now, but it's tough for me to see mm, sometimes. Like it's tough it's it's tough to see sometimes, but I Honestly, I i mean, it's pulling up emotion just having you affirm that. So I appreciate that. And, you know, I got a text today from some kid that heard me years ago at a youth event on the East Coast. And 
he saw a video of mine and it was just very affirming what he wrote. And I have, a you know, there's the critics and, and all of that. And then my own inner critic and all of that. But honestly, conversations like this and then, you know, there's so much we have hit on and it would be lovely to connect. I hope, I hope our paths do cross in person or that the relationship can somehow, you should come out for ceremony, but it's just, you, I, I don't know. There's just something kindred. I feel like with you and your, your journey and then especially your, your academic pursuits and like you having the awareness that you do at such a young age of like, imagine the work that I can do. It's just, it's really beautiful. I'm really excited Mm. for you and inspired by your, your journey and wishing you all the best. Mm. I do have some people that could help you with your podcast. Shape me, shape me. Every person you pick changes me. So shape me. It's also this podcast. So like, yeah, even more kudos for you for just putting yourself out there and doing the hard work and like, taking the bull by the Thank horns you. sounds like you're on it dude i'm trying you know i still get social anxiety i'm like oh strangers and i'm like oh wait i talk to strangers on a podcast every single week like what am i if you enjoyed today's episode then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast and if you're a part of the anarchist community then follow us on instagram or nominate a guest for the show by sending in a letter to modern anarchy podcast at gmail.com Otherwise, I'll see you next week.